I'm a little scared. I'm trembling a little. <clears throat> For one thing, after Brother Ron's message this morning, kind of brought a soberness on my heart, and I think it probably did everybody's heart. And what I have to say, I know it doesn't feel like it quite fits with that somehow. But I would just pray that that principle that Brother Ron spoke of, which is a a principle that will carry us through life, that we hold on to that principle. Thank you, Brother, for sharing with us. To you visitors that are here, I don't really apologize in any other way I do. I want to say that what I have to say this morning is going to be spoken to the church family here. Those of you who are born again and have accepted Christ as your Lord, that's who I'm speaking to. I want to talk to you, if I may, and I don't know if I may or not, but I'll try, talk to you as a father would talk to his children. And I don't say that demeaningly at all. I don't say that you're children and I'm the father, I'm mature and you're not. I'm spiritual, you're not. I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form. I just want to talk to you as a father. I hope I can do this. I'm not coming to you as an authority that has all the answers. I don't. I'm coming to you more as a servant that desires so much to be a blessing to you and help you be a blessing to each other. That's my heart. I want to talk a little bit about church life. I want to talk a little bit about what the scriptures say about church life. I want to talk a little bit about my experience in church life. What I have to say here this morning doesn't really so matter so much as what you do with what I say. And I I should correct that and say not necessarily what I say, but what God says. There was a sermon one time spoken, I think it was by Jonathan Edwards. I've heard it called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. I almost forget the title of it. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Yes, thank you. I understand the first time that was preached, it was rather dry and, and didn't do anything too much, but I don't know when it was preached later, but it, then it caught hold and it was a great, a great blessing to a great many people. I only say that to say, <clears throat> without apology, 
and not in any kind of an inferiority or anything like that, but said, this probably is not going to be one of those sermons. <clears throat> this probably won't go down in history for anything. <clears throat> but <clears throat> I want you to try to get a hold of, of the spirit I want to give it in and try to get a hold of what the spirit of what we're saying. <clears throat> I realize that you are <clears throat> mature people. Again, I'm not looking at you or standing before you or teaching you or, or going to say anything to you as if you're immature or that you don't even know some of the things and probably all of the things I'm going to say. You probably know them all. You've heard them all. You've heard them all before. But I realize also that words matter. What I say, what you say affects people. Now, it may not change their life just like that. It may not happen. But even so, with everything that goes into your ears, it affects you. Good or not so good. It affects you. So I just want to hope and pray this morning that what I say will affect you for good. My heart and desire this morning is to speak to you words of life, not words of rebuke or reproach in any way. That's not my heart. <clears throat> but I know and you know and we all know I'm here because you've asked me to come. Brother Dale Heisey and I, we came and you've asked me to come and help you walk through some things you're dealing with. We all know that that's not a secret. <clears throat> and I want to share with you, if I may, my heart on what I think will be a benefit to you. I didn't volunteer to come here and do this job. You asked me to come. But when I came, I came with a commitment in my heart that I'd do my best. That I'd, I want to learn to love you. I do already, but, I, but as I get to know you, as we get to know people, we learn to love, we learn to care more and more deeply. <clears throat> and, even, and even as I considered what I had to say this morning, I can assure you, it, it came from a heart of love. It came from a heart that wants to see this church prosper, wants to see this church grow, maybe numerically, but certainly spiritually. I'm making this commitment because I believe that there is that capability here among you. I believe that you have the the opportunity, the possibilities. I believe that you have the ability to, each of you, get a hold of the things you need to get a hold of and you let the Lord speak to your heart through those things. And if you need change, you let Him change you. And if you need to forgive, you, you forgive. 
If you need to love more, you love more. I believe you all have that capability. There's no doubt in my mind. I sat, I sat last Friday night back there at the circle of all you men. Every chair was filled. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to say it anyway. Every chair was filled. And every brother here listened. I know they listened. Because I asked them to raise their hand on some questions I had. And they did. And I looked at every chair. And I thought, what if one chair was missing? What if, excuse me, what if one chair was empty? What would that do? It would leave a hole. I came here committing to do my best. And I have prayed much. I pray for you much. When I'm back home, I have things I'm doing and things are going on and all those things, but I pray for you. I don't say that proudly. I just want you to know I feel that way. I care. It's, it's on my heart. <clears throat> I'm not here helping a church that's dying. I'm not here because you're dying. Not at all. I'm here because you're living and you want to live better and you want to live more and you want to live greater and you want to live more for the kingdom. I'm here because of that reason. That's why I'm here. And I believe that's why you're here. You want to see this little church of God prosper and grow. You want to heal some of the relationships that's, that's strained between you. You want to. I know you do. I don't, I don't think there's a brother here or a sister here that wants to destroy anybody else. I don't, I don't believe it. <clears throat> Probably I learned to know Brother Elvin first as far as who's in this church. I don't remember how we came to know you. I think I remember the first time we came through here, and I don't remember, was it while we was in Idaho? In 99, we was coming back from, or going to Idaho, or going to Ohio, Pennsylvania, up where we're going. We came through here on the way there. And it was 35 degrees below zero or something like that. <laughs> it was cold. And we called him, and he said, sure, you can come. We came, and he put us in his little dotty house out there, whatever you call it. And he had two or three heaters out there trying to keep it warm, and it worked. It was warm. I'll put a pause there. Earlier than that, we made a trip from, from we was living in Ohio. And our daughter got married, and we took a trip out west because we wanted to move west. We didn't know where. I remember sitting on the, the living room floor and we flipped the penny. Where did it land? Where do we want to go? It didn't take us too long to realize that wasn't too good of a way to do it. So we took a trip out west here and we didn't visit Iowa. We visited Wisconsin, Colorado, Loveland, uh, uh, Grainsville, Idaho, and 
Maybe that was all. We decided we'd move to Grangeville, Idaho. Uh, long story short. Before that, we, well, no, on that trip, we're visiting in the home of Brother Gerald Nolt. Probably many of you know him. Dear brother. We left there that, that time, and I told my wife, you know, there's something different about these people. And I'm going to include you in those people. What I saw was a willingness to talk about issues and talk about things and to, and to, to deal with situations and to, and to love. That's what I saw. None of us are very drawn to a church where you, because I believe we have a deeper desire than this, to a church where you just come and say, hello, I'm fine, and go home. We don't want that. <clears throat> but with that come some possibilities of misunderstandings, of problems. And we're still at the same place. I believe we still want to look at ourselves and, and deal with our problems. I believe we still care about others. We're still there. We're, this, is, this is who we are. That's why I was drawn to these circles. <clears throat> I didn't know Denny Keniston at all. I didn't, I didn't even know his name. I might have known his name by that time, but I didn't know him at all. <clears throat> but what I want to do this morning is bring our hearts and bring our eyes, bring our attention to some of the things we have to deal with and how to deal with them. I'm going to tell you a little story. I found this story in my sermon notes from many years back. I don't know where it came from. I don't even know if it's true, but it, it gives a good, a good lesson. A young man, having studied the violin under a great master of the violin, was giving his first recital in front of a crowd. Following each number that he played, despite the cheers of the crowd, the boy seemed dissatisfied. Even after the last number that he played, with the applause of the crowd louder than ever, the boy stood watching an old man in the balcony. Finally, the old man smiled and nodded his approval. Immediately, the young man relaxed and beamed his happiness. <clears throat> we're all playing violin today, and we're all looking 
to that old man in the balcony for his approval. And with his approval, we're satisfied. I want us to consider those things. Keep that in mind as we, as we talk here this morning. And keep that in mind the rest of your life. We're looking for the approval of our master. The one who teaches us how to live. How to play our violin. <clears throat> you brothers remember. And I'm assuming. And I don't think I'm wrong in this. That you talk to your wives. And even your family. Your, your daughters. Your, that were not here. You remember the first brothers meeting we had after Brother Dale left and I left and I came back then that Monday night. You remember the first brothers meeting we had and we asked you to lay aside the differences that you have. We asked you to even to in your choices of lifestyle whether it be the things you wear or the things you buy that you take those things and you say, what would my brotherhood really want? And you make choices based on that. What, what do you really think that they want? What I wanted to do was take away the whole, the whole issue of lifestyle. Lifestyle is very important. But I, want to, I wanted to, to just simply... Help us to lay that down and lay it down for now. <clears throat> I didn't use a scripture then, but I want to use a scripture now. If you want to turn to Romans 14, we're going to look at that one a little bit. Romans 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 13. Paul says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather. If you want to look at something that you need to determine if you're right or wrong in, he wants us to do this. He says, Judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. That's church life. That's church life. He goes on, he says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Words from God. It's not, it's not like we're all free to do what we want to do. Especially in our flesh. We all have a responsibility to, responsibility to each other. I, I say this not condemningly. I say that I'm talking to my family. 
if I could do that. That says to me that it matters what things I do in life, what choices I make. It matters what I wear. It matters. It matters. Everything about my life matters. I'm not living just to please you. I'm living to please my Lord. But my Lord says, consider your brother and your sister. Verse 16, let not then your good be evil spoken of, colon, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not about what you can get or what you can enjoy in life. It is about the spirit of the heart and the spiritual life that's in you. That's what it's about. That's what life is about. That's what church is about. And church is a, it is, uh, sometimes they call it a verb and sometimes they call it a noun, but church is a gathering of the saints come together and we do these kinds of things. It is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness and peace and joy. That's what the kingdom of God is about. I realize that sometimes joy is not something that you just put on. It never is, actually. Joy is something that comes out of the heart. It's because there's peace in your heart. No peace, no joy. Have peace, have joy. Verse 18, For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us, verse 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things whereby one may edify another. Wow, those are, those are really good words. They're instructive words. They tell us how to live. They tell us what church life is about. <clears throat> In the final verse I want to read, For meat, destroy not the work of God. For those things that I might want or whatever else, don't let those things be a stumbling block to somebody else. Destroy not the work of God. God desires so much to have us have that righteousness and peace in the Holy Ghost. That's what God wants. That's church life. First Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members that are of that one body, being many, are one body, just like Christ. That's Christ. To do that together. This is speaking about the value of unity. It is the only way that Christ is. He's, he's, he is unified. He is not separated and divided. He is, and he wants his church, his body, to be unified, brought together, standing with one another, helping one another, blessing one another. That's, that's the spirit that God wants in the church. Verse 10, excuse me, that was uh, 1 Corinthians 12. This is Ephesians, 
I'm sorry. Let me go on down in there. First uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen. For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, having made the drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So the body here is, we have a body, but we're all one body, all different members, but are all one body. That says that, well, I'll go on. It goes, it, it gets into it. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? In other words, if Brother Lee says, well, um, Brother Ron has his things, whatever. Maybe we don't need him anymore. That's not the way church life is. He's not going to say that I know that. We need you both, obviously. I'll go on. If the ear shall say, because I am not the ear, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No, it's still part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? I'm, I'm just focusing on this whole thought that we need each other. It's not coincidence, and I said this before, I've said some of these things at the brothers' meeting, but it's not coincidence that every one of you is here. It's not coincidence. It didn't just happen to be. One thing that I remember Brother Dean Taylor said, he said, church is not an accidental meeting out by the lamppost on the street somewhere. It's not the way it is. Church is purposeful. God has His hand in this. God has His hand in this. And He has His hand on every single one of you. God has His hand on you. I I want you to get a hold of that, if I may. One of every one of you, God has His hand on you, and He wants you to blend with this body, with His body. And I believe since you're here, it's this body. But now God hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. Now. We could take that a lot of different ways, but I'm going, to, I'm going to apply it right here. He set every one of you here, just like I said, because it pleased him for you to be here. God is pleased that you're here. God is smiling that you're here. What more could we ask for? He goes on in that same chapter, and he says, And whether one member suffer, this is verse 26, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's church life. That's church life. That's where we want to go. That's church life. That's what this is about. That's what this, that's what this group is about. <clears throat> we recognize, and we all know, that there's different churches out there. And, and for most of us, my generation, older generation here, all came from other churches. Now, some of you have grown up in this church. You can't say that, but some of us older, it's true. We've all left other churches, and we felt 
right to do. And it, it varies. I mean, if you did it the right way, it's right to do. If you did it in bitterness and those kind of things, it's not right to do. You need to go back there and you need to make it right back there and you need to get rid of your bitterness back there. And that goes, period, whether it's wherever it is. But you need to make, it, it's okay. It's okay if we, can, if we leave a church. It's not like when you come into this church or any other church, you're married to that church and to leave it is a sin. Leaving is not the sin. It might be a sin the way you leave. But it can be done rightly. And we've all done it. Or some of us have. We've all left other churches and we came here because we felt God was leading us here. We felt pretty clear about that. I hope we felt clear about that, period. God was leading us here. He didn't take our hand and just tug us along. But in our hearts, in our minds, in our, the way we're thinking and what we were feeling and and in prayer, and even, even dreams, even signs that we've received, they have pointed us directions. I can, we can say that about the reason we're in Pennsylvania, because we believe very clearly God, through a dream, and through speaking in my heart, that's where we should go. Okay, I don't want to overemphasize dreams, but I do believe God can speak that way. My point is, God brought you all here, and we've all left other churches, now we're here. Now we're here. <clears throat> we chose to come here because we felt it had a good spirit here. We felt there was a uh, there was spiritual uh, life here, and we felt like it was the right thing for us to do. You didn't come here because you were forced here. You came here because you chose to come. And that, by the hand of God, I believe that. If we believe otherwise, then we need to go back and check why we left. You need to go back and check back there. Some of you children, young people, you've grown up here. In one sense, you had no choice. It's where, it's where you were raised. Where mom and dad are, it's all you've known. They brought you home, or I tell them age a bit, I can say they brought you home from the hospital and brought you here to church. Nowadays you don't do that so much. In our generation, that's the way it was. All of our children were born in the hospital because we thought that's the only way you could do it. <clears throat> Obviously that's not true. But we're here. And you know, you young people, let me talk to you a little bit. In some ways, you have it rougher, harder than your parents did to live a Christian life, to live in a church, in a life, a church, to live the church life. You have, in some ways, you have it harder. Let me tell you why. Because your parents, when they were thinking about what they wanted in life, and they were taught back here in these old churches, or not old, churches they came from, and they said, is there something more? And they began to search for something more. And they fought their way to understand what they do today. They wasn't given to them. They understand, I'm going to dare say, a little differently than they used to. Because they, they, they read the scriptures, they prayed, they sought God, and they said, Lord, 
what do we do and how do we do this and is this right and is that right and is this wrong or is this wrong? wrong? They, 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 they prayed their way to where they are. They know what it took to get there, the agony that they went through. Some of you, I know you went through agony of leaving your church and, and your mother and your father were not approving possibly. Uh, maybe they didn't. Maybe they did. Maybe they were hard against you. But they fought their way. They know the hardships and the, and the, uh, the feelings and, the, and the, the hurt that they had. They saw in their parents' eyes. I, we saw it in our parents' eyes more than once just simply because mother would say, Oh, Mark, I just wish you were with us. We know those feelings. Some of us had those, those things we had to work through. And so, but yet we still wanted to walk where God wanted us to walk. And so here we are. You young people. You don't know that. You don't know those feelings. You haven't fought that way. That's why I say it could be harder for you than for us. Because the temptation and the possibility is that you don't recognize or realize I'm not saying you don't, but you may not recognize what you have. No, we're not the only church there is, and there's lots of other good churches out there. But remember, it's not coincidence you're here. God has you here. So, so I say to you young people, I think there's a good chance, a good possibility that in some ways you have it harder than we do. Because... When we fight for something, we know what it takes to get it, and then we appreciate it more. Let me tell you a little bit about my experience in church life. A young man came to me probably a year and a half ago. I'm not sure how long ago it was. He said, Brother Mark, will you keep me accountable? He had, he had some issues in his life that he wanted to have victory. He had some sin in his life he wanted to have victory over. He wanted to get free and he wanted to be clear. I told him, I will. But I'm going to let you pay the price. To get it. To get accountability. I said, I want you to call me. I want you to call me. And he has. Every, used to be more often, every week or so, now it's every couple weeks. He calls me. He says, Brother Mark. He'll usually text me and say, do you have time to talk? He says, Brother Mark, you have time to talk and then we'll talk. That's church life. That's, that's a, that's a young man that's going to prosper. I have a great hope for that young man. Sure, he has his problems. We all have our problems. But he is willing to do something about it. We have a young lady that calls my wife occasionally and said, Sister Ann, can I come visit a little bit, a little while? Just randomly, every couple weeks. Maybe I might go a month sometimes. That's church life. And it's not uncommon for we have this, a lot more young ladies in our church than young men. I can think of, I think, three or four young ladies that occasionally they'll call and say, 
you and, you and Sister Anna should usually call me. Do you and Brother Mark have time I could come and visit? I just want to talk about some things. And this is, this is current. This is not three years ago. This is current. That's church life. I just, want to, I just want to encourage you and assure you, there is a way that we can have church life like God wants us to have. This is church life. I have a brother. There's a brother back there. He has a family of five or six boys now. How many? Six boys and one girl. Little girl's the last one. I don't know if it's the last one or not, but the last one so far. He opens himself up in Brothers Being says, Brothers, I need some help. And this is recent. This isn't 10 years ago. He said, I've got whatever, six sons. I think are six sons. And I need some help. Seems like this is going on. Seems like that's going on. Please come talk to me and help me share with me what, what you think I can, how I can help, how I can be helped. Without being proud, I hope I can say this without being proud. Some ways I am. We get the feeling very distinctly that the young people kind of like us, Ann and I. I think they do. At our Bible school back there in Pennsylvania, some of you have been there and some of you are coming. I've seen your applications. I read all the applications when they come. We have a picture day, one just right after, right before lunch. We take pictures of different groups. You, I think you do that too, probably. Ann and I help set up these groups. They're all dismissed by, okay, everybody from Living Hope, go back to the back, and we set them up, and we arrange them, and everybody from Iowa set up, come back, that kind of thing. And always, it's usually there's enough Living Hope people there that we make the whole picture. And I've told them more than once. I said, bear with the idea the principal may not be all right here. I said, don't tell anybody, but you're my favorite group. I mean it. That's, that's, that's church life. We like to, it doesn't always happen, but we like to have a couple, and I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong here, but we like to have a couple at the doors back there when everybody comes, they welcome them, greet them, give them a blessing, just welcome them in. Recently I talked to a brother he was asking me about some of the young people in our church. And he mentioned some things that um, are some concerns that we would have. He said, how about those young people? I said, well... First of all, we love those young people, and they love us. And I said, when I stand back, and I can do this with you too, 
when I stand back, and you've heard this illustration before, and look through a telescope at you, I see a godly group of people here. I stand back and look at my church of living hope, and I stand back with a telescope. I see a godly group of people. But these young people I'm talking about, I'm going to get a little practical here. We all believe in the sisters covering their heads. We're satisfied with the way we do it. You go to Africa and they ask, why don't you cover your heads? You know, our coverings are back here somewhere. Why don't you cover your heads? Because they cover their heads. Their covering comes clear out to here. But we're satisfied. I don't want to symbolize the covering too much and make it only a symbol. But it is at least that. It's more than that, but it is that. And the question, the, the thing we were talking about with this young man, I said, you know, when I look back at, and I step back and look at them, I see dear young people. I see a dear church. I see, I mean, it, it, I see God's sanction and blessing all over it. And I can say the same thing here. But I said, no. I'd like to see their coverings come on a little farther. It seems they're slipping back a little farther than what we'd like to see. It just seems like they go back and back and back, and sometimes they fall off. We have some of that. I'm only saying that to say it's church life. But let me, if I may say this as a father, if somebody comes to you, and I'm going to talk to young people, older people too, you listen in, young people, and says, I'm concerned about this. This is what I'm concerned about. And they share. Now you have something you're going to do with that. I just beg of you, for the sake of Christ, and for the sake of his body, please listen. Please listen. It's church life. I have a warning for you now. There's no doubt in my mind that Christianity and how to live a Christian life and true Christians are going to be threatened and attacked more and more and more as time goes on. I have no doubt about that. Jesus said it's going to wax worse and worse. We just didn't know when or how bad it's going to get, and we still don't. But it's going to get worse. It's going to get harder to stand against the devil. Not because, well, for various reasons, but one reason is because the devil is getting more and more subtle all the time. He's going underneath. Going behind cover, however you want to say that, and attacking the church. He's attacking marriages, individuals. You know all about the gay and all those kind of things. Those things are horrible. That's not even blat- or, uh, subtle anymore. That's rather blatant. 
But what's going to get harder? I believe, I can believe a couple different things, two different ways, but one thing that's going to get harder is he's going to ask us individually, what's wrong with that? Why? Why not? And we need to have an answer. He'll do it in our minds. You'll look around and you'll say, they're good Christians. They're doing it that way. Why do I have to do it this way? I'll just say this. It matters, I believe it matters more to God of your direction than your position. Now that, that needs some qualifying, I'll, tell, I'll grant you. It matters more to God about your direction than your position. Where are you going? Where are you going? There's going to be more deception in many ways. There's going to be falling away. We're going to look at we're going to look at somebody out there, our neighbor, a friends out there that that maybe used to be a Christian, you know, to go to church, and and you're going to see them falling away. And God forbid, but you may even see it in this church. You just may. My point is, the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy, and he has no mercy. He doesn't care how he does it. If he can get you to, I'll be real. I'll, I don't. I don't mean to pick on the this coverings, the sisters' coverings. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's it's such a it's such an easy one to look at. If he can get you to say, "I like the way that sister wears her covering a little better than mine. It's back a little farther. I kind of like that." That's the direction. Just be just be aware that the direction you're going is more important than the position you're at now. We have a we're ministering ministering to a young lady right now. And I can tell you her story, I won't, but she is so receptive. She will do anything we say to, and so therefore, we're very careful to not say a whole lot. We want her to get it in her mind that this is what she believes, not because Brother Mark or Sister Ann said so, but this is what she believes. So we teach her, we teach her, we tell her things and we teach her, but we try to not tell her what to do because we want her to get it in her mind herself so that she owns it, so that she knows it's hers. There could probably a lot more be said about the deception that, that's out there and, and how the devil is going to, how the devil is working and all those kinds of things. <clears throat> but I'll go on. Paul says this. I want to say this to you as a church. Be sure that your life is representative of the gospel of Christ. Not for my sake, but for your sake and for the Lord's sake. Be sure that your life is a representative of the gospel of Christ. I, 
I'm planning at this point to be here. I, I, I committed to you I'd be here. I'd come for a year. At the end of that year, I believe I'm going to see that you have lived that way. I believe I am. I know, and I'll just be real plain again, I know there's some struggling here with appreciating various things. I know that. We all know that. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that all of us will be in a different and better place a year from now than we are today. I believe that. Some things we understand, some things we don't understand. There may be things about this church you don't quite understand. I believe you'll be able to understand it better as we go on here. <clears throat> I say that simply to say that I don't look at anybody and say, it's almost hopeless. I can look at you all and say, every single one of you have the opportunity, and I believe. I'm going to believe until you prove it differently that you're going to be in a better place a year from now. Paul says it this way, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's us. Amen? That's us. Later on in that same book, Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Amen. I don't, know if, I don't know if I can do this or if I should or not. I'm going to do it. It may be a little thing. I'd like you all to consider, think of yourself sitting at the feet of your father, and I probably have to add this in here. You appreciate him. You look up to him. All of you just imagine you're sitting there at your father, at the feet of your father, and he is he's instructing you, he's telling you some things. You're appreciating him. Some things he says may not be so easy, but yet you know he's telling you out of a heart of love, a heart that wants the best for you. Many of you have fathers that way. Some of you may not. I don't know. Just imagine that. And now for just a, a teensy-weensy little bit, let me be your father. You can do it. I believe you can do it. I believe that you can do what we're asking you to do.
I'd like you to individually take that. I'm nothing. I'm only a man standing here that's going to go away here in a few, few hours. But I want you to get it in your heart and your mind. He thinks I can do it. I think I can too. What is it? I said, I think you can do it. What is it? I've already told you a lot of what it is. But, but in a nutshell, it is walking with God and brother on waiting on God. It is Doing what God wants you to do. Last night, no, not last night, Friday night, I asked the brotherhood to focus on building good relationships. And nearly a unanimous voice said, I will. Amen. But I think I can say, I, I believe this, and I, you, I hope you don't prove me wrong, but I believe it, that unanimously we all desire to have good relationships. There's no doubt about that. If there's, any, if there's anything other than that, please come tell me. I want to know. And I don't expect to have a line behind me waiting. I want to know. I want you, I believe that, that you believe that Church life is also about having good relationships. It is. I told the brothers the other night, united we stand, divided we fall. I'm going to get a little more practical. I have two, two points. <clears throat> I told you that one of the reasons I appreciated this circle of people is because they were willing to be honest about themselves and to each other. And they were willing to hear. And I believe I'm looking at the same kind of people this morning. And I believe also I realize that there may be some deafening noises in your ear that you may not hear quite real well. I understand that. What I mean by that is you maybe have some experiences that makes you a little leery, makes you a little bit uncomfortable, makes you a little bit I don't know. I realize that. 
But the two, two points I want to make here. I'm going to talk about methods. I'm going to talk about methods. I'm going to suggest to you that there are two methods in this, among this, this church that needs to be changed. The message, the message is clear. I don't think any of us doubt the message. The message is that we as a church body, we want to walk with God and we want to have something to give to our children. We want to have God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's no doubt in my mind that's everybody's heart here. I don't doubt that one minute. I believe you all believe that. But there's, I'm going to say, two methods that needs to be changed. <clears throat> this, this is pretty practical. I hope, I hope I'm not stepping on too many toes or hurting too many here. But what you can hear me, I just, I'll just say again, just know, you just have to believe that I'm doing this not because I don't love you, but because I do love you. I do care. One method that needs to be changed. I want to talk to the ministry. Brother Elvin, Brother Larry, Brother Earl. One method I believe that needs to be changed is how the ministry comes across to the brotherhood. It comes across, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating what you all have said, controlling. It comes across um, harshly sometimes. That method won't work, doesn't work, hasn't worked. If it's true what you say, that method needs to be changed. Okay. There's another method that needs to be changed. I think there's another thing that's going on here that needs to be changed. And I, I hope, brothers and sisters, this scares me to death, figuratively speaking. This scares me. I, what I'm saying, I want to speak words of life. <laughs> I want you to get a hold of something that it's possible. We can. God is with us. It's not coincidental that we're here. It's not coincidental I'm standing here this morning. It's not coincidental. Nothing is coincidental. I suppose that could be qualified, but here in this church, where we're at, it's not coincidental why all this is happening. God knew it. God knows it. And has everybody here. I want to speak life. And you know, sometimes life spoken might hurt a little bit. But it's life. It's how to get life. God said, he said, Jesus Christ came. Um, uh, for repentance, that, that we need to repent of our sins. Okay, repentance is not necessarily, you might think, you know, you could look at that and say, that's not very life-giving, but it is. We all know it is. I mean, what I'm saying is sometimes the things we have to repent of are, are pretty dead. They're, they're not life-giving. But I'm just saying, sometimes we have to go through the hard things to get to the mountaintops. 
I think there's something that needs to be changed. There's another method that needs to be changed in the church. And there may be many more. I don't know. And I could be wrong. <laughs> but the other method I think needs to be changed is when we have a problem with something, we don't talk about it with other people. We talk about it with the people that we have the problem with. That's who can change. That's, that's who we need to talk to. And I'm, I'm not going to call it gossip. I, I, I tried to think it was, tried to thought about it, be calling it gossip. It's not, I don't think it's gossip. Maybe some of it is, but it is probably born out of a sincere heart that really wants things different, and, but you don't hardly know how to do anything about it. It's, it's, I believe, I, I, I'm willing to believe that's, and so what do you think? How about this? What should we do? And yeah, I saw that too. And yeah, I hear, I agree with you. I think that, I think if I can encourage you, that method needs to be changed. If you have something you don't appreciate about somebody, don't go talking about it to somebody else. Talk about it to the person you need to talk to. That's a little what I asked for last uh, Friday night at the brothers' meeting. Commit to talking to people and being a blessing somehow. That's what I was asking you to do. But now I'm saying, don't talk to other people about things that they can't do anything about. I think that, uh, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think there might be some of that that I'd like to see changed. I'm not sure what all my wife told you sisters yesterday. It may have been some of this. Good relationships are a result. Good relationships are a result. They're a result of of, uh, kindness, gentleness, love. They're a result of of, uh, camaraderie. Good relationships are a result. They don't necessarily just happen just because we want them to happen. But they're a result. The person who is walking with God, the person who has the Spirit of Christ, the person who has, has subjected himself absolutely and completely, and sometimes, I'll admit, sometimes it doesn't look like it sometimes. Sometimes we do things we shouldn't, say things we shouldn't. They need to be repented of. But... The result of kindness, gentleness, love, all those kind of things is a good relationship. That's what we're after. That's church life. That's the Christian life. Show me a man that loves me and I'll show you a man I can trust. Show me a man that I can trust, and I'll show you a man to have a good relationship with. Show me a man that loves me, and I'll show you a man I can trust. I realize you can make, oh, maybe need to be qualified again, but I think the principle is, and I'll get to that in a bit here, love, love, love. You know, love is a choice. Sure, it has its warm, fuzzy feelings. I have, 
a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings for my wife. But you know, it's still a choice. I choose. This is what I do. And I would encourage you men to do this too. I look at her and say, that's what's beautiful. She defines beauty for me. What's beautiful? Her. That's all. What's love look like? Brother Elvin. Brother Lee. That's what we want to show. That's what we want to do. Brother LeVon, that's what love looks like. I want you all to carry that on your hearts. What does love look like? It looks like me. Me? Well, okay. I need to love them. That's church life. I've said this before, but I want to say it again. It's in my notes here. Every one of you have value. Every one of you have a place in this church, and every one of you needs to stay. If you don't, now I'm not not making this a threat, but if you don't, you're going to leave a hole. I told the brothers at Brothers Meeting, I said, let's just imagine, and this is a lot the way it is, let's just imagine, here we are, we're a group of people, and we're going out to a battlefield, and we're going to go out there, and there's going to be a battle out there, and there's going to be an enemy out there, and that enemy has weapons and, and tactics and strategies that we're not sure what all they'll be. But we're here together now in this nice secluded little place. And we're going to go out. And we're going to go out together. Somebody's going to get hurt. I don't doubt that a bit. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get shot at and they're going to fall. And that's going to happen. You're going to go out of this place and it's going to happen. Now, what should happen next? That person ought to be smothered with people coming to help him up. That's what should happen next. It's pretty easy to say, well, but I'm not sure I should go. I'm not sure I'd be very appreciated. I'm not sure I could be much help. Let me tell you, you're probably the one that should go first. If I'm hurting, and I've been offended or I've been hurt some way, the person that hurt me God forbid it be anybody here, but if it is, that should be the first person there. I want you to get a hold of that little principle. It's not all up to the ministry to go help the hurting people. The person that failed, the, 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 the young person that's struggling with something or the, the whatever it may be, it's not all up to the ministry. It's up to you. And I'd like to just really reinforce and emphasize, we're going to go out. In fact, we've been out, and we've got some hurts. There are some hurts sitting here right now. I know there are. They need you. That's church life.
We're staying with Marcus and Katie this weekend. And they've given us tremendous accommodations. I couldn't ask for any better. Thank you, Marcus and Katie. They gave us a, a, a private room. And off of that room is a bathroom. Perfect. Now, if we come out and stay at your house, and you can't give us a private room with a bathroom, that's okay. I want you to know that. We would like a private room. But on, hanging on that bathroom in, there, in the wall in their bathroom, there's no plaque there. I thought it. I thought it fit. Let me go first to Philippians. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, this very thing I'm going to tell you about, this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the end of time, till the day of Jesus Christ. little plaque. And in that, I should say this much more, in that, that very thing, there's hope. This plaque says this, in the presence of hope, faith is born. In the presence of faith, love becomes a possibility. And in the presence of love, miracles happen. I want you to take that. In the presence of love, miracles happen. Hope, faith, charity. The greatest of these is charity. Miracles happen. You've probably all heard this poem. I want to read it to you, though. And I want you to consider that... You. Are the one. Jesus came to save. You are the one. That was saved in this little poem. You are the one that was valued. And then of course. We're not saved only for ourselves. We are saved for two things. One thing ultimately, but that, in that one thing ultimately, there is also this thing. We are in the kingdom of God. We're in this church, God's Christ body, to glorify Him. How do we do that? We sing our songs of praise. Amen. We pray. Amen. We read His word. Amen. We obey. Amen. Amen, all those things. Those things are very vital, very necessary. But there's another thing that happens that we do. When we praise God, we do this. When we don't do this, it's not a praise to God. And that is love one another. Love one another. Take those little feelings you have, and I encourage your brothers that Friday night, take those little feelings you have and say, this is my problem. This is my problem. And do something with them.
my problem. It's not his problem. It's not because of what he said or she said. They may have not said things right. But I'm telling you, look at yourself and look at, say that's your problem. It's my problem. Then you become of great value. You've heard the poem. I'm going to read it to you. Called The Touch of the Master's Hand. T'was battered and scarred in the auctioneer. Thought it scarcely worth his while. To waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. He said, What am I getting to good folk? What am I bidding, good folks? He cried. Who will start the bidding for me? Dollar once, who will make it two? Two dollars, who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, and going and gone, but no. From the room far back, a gray haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then, wiping the dust from the old violin, he tightened and tightening the loose strings. He played a melody pure and sweet as the caroling angel sings. The music ceased. The auctioneer, in a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, who will make it two? Two thousand, who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered. Some of them cried, We don't quite understand. What changed this worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. The touch of the master's hand. Every one of you are an old violin that wasn't worth much until the master came. Now, a thousand times you're worth what you were, figuratively speaking. The people cheered, but some of them cried, we don't quite understand. What change is worth? Quick came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered, with, battered and scarred with sin, his auction cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, he rambles on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes. If there's anybody here like that today, here's your chance. The master comes. And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the chains that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Let's all kneel together for prayer. Father in heaven, you look down on this congregation. You look down into the hearts of every person here. And you know exactly what's going on in every heart. You know exactly what's going on with this congregation. It's a beautiful congregation. You know all those things. And Father, just now, we come to you. We're just children. And we pray. We ask you, Father, would you... Bring your blessing upon us. Would you break our hearts? Would you help us to see the things we don't see? To hear the things that are being spoken but are not able to hear. Would you, Father, we pray, come in and help us to see our hearts and what the problem is with them. 
And Father, help us to keep our eyes on ourselves. I pray, Father, I pray this many times. I pray, Father, take this congregation, every single person here, and maybe there's some even missing, I don't know, and blend them together, meld them, weld them, bring them together, that they might be a force formidable against the foe. That when they go out and they represent Jesus Christ, they are invincible. I pray, Father, for grace on them. I pray, Father, that you would give them much wisdom. We sang this morning, give us wisdom, give us courage. Amen, Father. We commit ourselves to you. Have your way. A little like Jesus said when he was here, he said, Father, that, it will, that this cup would pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Father, whatever cup there is for us to drink, let us drink it completely and wholly, confessing, admitting, dealing with our own faults and failures, our own flat spots. Father, help us to take that cup and just drink it all the way down. And then receive the blessing of knowing that our Father will raise us up. Thank you, Father, for your word, the principles that are in your word. We can depend on them. Thank you for that. Be with us now. Be with us today, this afternoon, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. We pray for your presence. Pray for your grace. Convict us, Lord, where we need to be convicted of our sin and our wrong, our flat spots, whatever they are. Convict us of those things. And Lord, give us the grace and the strength then to, to deal with them. I pray, Father, that you'd give us all that humble heart of saying, not my will, but thine be done. To forgive where we need to forgive. To forbear where we need to forbear to love at all times. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.